Welcome back to the Luminous Arts. This time I'm talking to my friend Luke Taylor from all the way over in Sydney. He's the lead engineer for Advitech, the company that makes the Pixlite line of LED controllers. We've been using his hardware for years, giving them shit when they need new features, and working with them to keep the needs of light artists front and center in their development process. This episode is a nerdy one, so be forewarned, we definitely get into the weeds. We talk about how his company formed and the path he's taken as a developer working in the pixel control world. Sorting through the myriad of pixel technologies can be a dizzying process, but his company does a great job demystifying it for amateurs and professionals alike. Uh, we talk about the fundamental ways that artists use LED controllers to tie their installations together, what kinds of features are important and matter to people, and the line between controller and pattern engine. It's a fascinating, if not a totally geeky conversation, and I'm stoked we finally got to connect and have a good chat. Yeah, dude, so where are you right now? You're in Melbourne? Yeah, Melbourne, Melbourne, Australia. Yeah, but it's actually not not right in Australia. It's not in Melbourne. It's like right outside. What's it called? It's like a little like section. Yeah. Well, I mean, we're in the burbs, I guess you'd say. Little um, small industrial area is where our actual work is, which is where I'm at now. Um, but yeah, I guess we all just consider it Melbourne. So That's cool. Half an hour drive into the CBD. Yeah. So who else is there at the office with you? Is that, does Craig still work with you? No, Craig's not with us anymore. Um, oh, bummer. He's so cool. I like that guy. <laughs> yeah, it is a bit of a bummer. But uh, that's the way things go, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, there's a, a few people working from home at the moment um, and a couple away because of, you know, the world we live in these days. Yeah. How has uh, that been for uh, for you guys over at Avitech? Is it just like, I mean, everybody's working remotely, but you're in the office. Uh, well, a few of us are still in the office. You know, we've had uh, varying restrictions sort of coming and going uh, down in Victoria. It's yeah. different on a state by state basis. So, um, but yeah, you know, I, software I, engineers can work from home pretty easily. So that's been all right. Yeah, I think that's like kind of the the world is waking up to that. I mean, at least for some professions, it's it's easier, cheaper, and more convenient to work remotely. But there is really something to be said for um, for having people in the same physical location. You know, I'm starting a new business in addition to digital ambience, and it's uh, it's difficult to to get a team together and and to to make people um, form cohesive cohesive teams when when you're not in front of each other. Yeah, hundred percent. I mean, it's been a pretty global experiment at the moment the whole working from home thing but yeah i agree i mean you, you you can't fully substitute from being able to you know be in a room together and just talk about something in person and just turn around when you need to and, and have a chat so yeah yeah absolutely and it, there's something to be said for like face-to-face connection and even through zoom it's not like it's just not the same <laughs> yeah it's not the same that's right so what business are you starting uh, well, the business is called Lumison and it's, um, it's essentially, it's taking UVC and circadian lighting and combining them into, into the same system managed by, by, a by a web platform. So the concept is, uh, health and wellness lighting through UVC plus circadian, circadian lighting. Well, okay. <laughs> That's uh, an interesting concept 
Yeah, well, I mean, it relies heavily on on um, understanding occupancy of a of an indoor space. You know what I mean? So right. the only way to safely apply UVC in an area is to to understand who is in that area so that you can intelligently switch on and off the UVC portion when no one's in a space. And what that does is allows you to like selectively sanitize different areas um, in accordance to occupancy. And yeah. so it's a little bit software, a little bit of hardware. The hardware is mostly just, um, it's like turnkey fixture design. So it's it's not it's not a whole it's not a, a real heavy lift on the hardware side of things. It's been a much more in depth process to design the software that controls the system. Yeah. But the cool thing is the software is built on this open source IoT platform, and you can really control anything with it. It's almost like a, it's like an operating system for physical space. It's yeah. a really cool concept. Yeah. Right. So you're gonna tap into building management system and sort of try and get sensor information about where people are moving around. Yeah. It can work on a couple different paradigms. Essentially you can take, um, you can tap into an existing building management system or you can deploy, uh, like off the shelf IOT sensors, you know? So for example, in an office without an I without a building management platform, we could come in and, you know, set up Z wave occupancy sensors throughout a building. Um, and then, uh, essentially control our lighting or existing lighting through that system. But with a building with an existing building management platform, we would tap into the sensor data uh, of that platform and then use that to, to direct the, the, um, the function of our, our lighting. Yeah. Right. So, okay. And you're going to give people a sort of web portal to access and control it all. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Nice. That's, uh, a, that's a big project, man. Yeah, it is a big project, but it's um it's coming along and it's uh because we're kind of springboarding off open source existing open source software, it's been it hasn't been as difficult as you'd think to get to get like a V1 spun up and running. And you know, I mean, who knows, man? Like it's just an idea, it's a concept and it's a really I was kind of getting bored honestly with digital ambience and and just the the types of installations that we've we've done and and continue to do they almost seem like they're falling into a pattern do you know what i mean like they're different form factors of the same type of led installation and it's like it's cool but it's like yeah i wanted to try something new i wanted to work with a different set of people and this was a great opportunity to to try that out you know and to to try to try something out that would be more scalable um, to try, to try building a more traditional business. Um, yeah. so it's been a lot of fun, you know, and it's been like, it's been an insane amount of work and, uh, I kind of like that, you know, I like that, that hectic, I, I like that. Yeah. 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 Definitely seem to be keen for trying new things. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you guys are, how old are you guys now? Advitech is what, like seven years old? Seven years. Yeah, that's yeah, about how old digital ambience is. We're a little bit older. Yeah. But, um, yeah. About that old. Yeah. And uh, so I guess for people who don't know who you are and what you do, Advitech is um, is a company that makes your, your company makes advanced LED control control hardware. Um, control hardware and then the the software. I would I would almost call it firmware really to to control that hardware. Yeah, that's um, right. 
And after trying like a bazillion different products, Digital Ambience has, you know, we've used your your shit forever because it's just hits the right mix. Um, and it, it's like, you know, it's like a Swiss army knife for, for LED pixels, which is, uh, <laughs> oh, which thanks. is important. I appreciate it. Yeah. It's been yeah. Good. I mean, it's, I appreciate you making the system. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's been an adventure. That's for sure. Um, yeah, the firmware that runs on it is probably, probably been the key part of our R and D really. Um, yeah. in more recent times, I suppose, hardware design has taken more of a front step, but, but yeah, uh, software is really at the heart of it all. Whether it's the, uh, you know, the software that, I mean, you've got the Smode shirt on now. I see you're obviously. <laughs> you know, Dude, when am package. I going to get the Avitech? When, when do I get an Avitech sweatshirt? <laughs> <laughs> I've bought enough of your product. I, you owe me a sweatshirt. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah no, that's I, it. I, I mean, you know, the software is at the heart of it all, isn't it? Really, even if you you don't might not think about it, you look at a physical product and think that's you know electronics that but really yeah it all comes down to the software at the end of the day it really does man and and i think that's the you know that's the world that we live in it's a it's a world that's governed by software and uh excuse me a piece of hardware is only as good as the software that's running on it and um yeah yeah i mean now that's true of like that's true of our kind of hardware there's a whole lot of hardware that doesn't, you know, it's like tools and, but even that, you know, even like, like tools nowadays, it, they're, they're, they're running software. You yeah. Know? Yeah. hundred percent. It's, you wouldn't, it, you wouldn't, I mean, it, it, this might be semi common knowledge, but even a, even an SD card that you put into something that you think is running software, even the SD card is running software inside it, you know? Is it really? Yeah. Yeah. There's a microcontroller inside an SD card that's got software on it. Oh yeah, right for sure. Well, I mean, yeah, you got to direct those bits to the appropriate uh, junctions or whatever. <laughs> yeah. yeah, man, it's it's uh, it's interesting. It's like, it's cool though. I like it. I like the the concept of um, like an intelligent. I, I like the concept of being surrounded by, by devices governed by logic. Yeah, you know what I mean, and, and programmable logic. It gets real problematic though. I mean, it's you know, it, it's all black boxes to most people. Like. You don't really know what your what your devices are doing. <laughs> you, you don't. I mean, you know, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. like you said, like an SD card has 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 logic in it. You know, everything has has some kind of some kind of microcontroller running somebody's code, somebody's yeah. decisions. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Totally. Yeah, well, I guess there's, there's been a, a fair bit of um, you know privacy related concern in recent times considering everyone's got the computer sitting in their pocket 24/7. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, privacy is kind of a weird concept. It's it's an interesting concept to to consider because the the people's people's concept of privacy and then their comfort level around privacy it it's not really like it's not linear. Like it doesn't it, it's not logical. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like people give up their privacy um, yeah. very willingly uh, yeah. in, in circumstances where you'd be like, oh, well, that's, that's ridiculous. That's like some George Orwell shit right there. And then they go nuts about things that, you know, are comparatively much less intrusive. So it's, yeah. it's just, uh, yeah, it's kind of crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I do, I do think sometimes that the, uh, the big boys in in the industries sort of 
tell a bit of a narrative of, you know, what, what suits them. You know, it's this privacy conversation comes from one of those players in tech that's trying to push a certain type of agenda and they're all having arguments over it. It's pretty interesting, pretty funny to watch, watch it play out from a general layman's perspective. Yeah, you mean like the the like uh, like Dorsey and like the the big tech leaders, yeah, or even just like Apple versus Facebook. That's probably been a recent one of. Oh, it's the it's the it's the it's the uh, the soap opera of our times. <laughs> it really is. Yeah. So anyway. how is that perceived in Australia? Are people like super super focused on privacy? Like I know in Germany, man, German Germany is like a is incredibly privacy focused. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like people yeah. are very, very like aware and concerned of, of, of digital privacy in Germany, which, yeah. which I thought was really interesting. Yeah. Well, I guess all of, all of the EU is a bit more, I suppose, progressive in that sense of trying to lead the way, you know, have got the uh, GDPR, you know, that's trying to, you know, have some kind of legislation over the digital privacy act and all that sort of thing. So it's interesting. I don't, I don't, personally feel like too many Australians are anywhere near that concerned about it, but it might also just be the people that I uh, associate with. (laughs) Right. Right. Yeah. So, um, so are you like, what's your, what's your social life? Like in, are you pretty much just like in your clan, like in your, in the company, you know, it's like your company is the, the crew and that's your. No, I don't think so. I think, um, no, definitely not. I mean, everyone has their own social circles here. We've got quite a few different staff that are, I would say, very different in their personal life. Um, mm-hmm. And But that's great. I mean, everyone here sort of brings their own perspective and their own level of experience. You know, we've got people that are in uni and fresh out of uni and, you know, we've got a couple of veteran software developers that, that have been in the industry for decades, so... Um, you know, they're not necessarily all hanging out with each other after work, but it certainly means that, you know, during our work here, there's, there's a lot of different perspectives and experience levels and personalities, which I think is a good thing. Yeah. Yeah, it is. It definitely is. It's good to have diversity, man. Like it, it's really important to have like a range, like a broad range of perspectives. Yeah. Um, Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. Digital ambience is funny because it's definitely more of a group of friends and then Lumison is very much, you know, kind of like handpicked developers that don't have a lot of uh, social overlap. So it's kind of interesting to see how both of those dynamics play out in a business environment. And yeah. on the one hand, I really like having a group of friends that come together with common experience to, to tackle like creative challenges. And at the same time, that can lead to real problems when like somebody's not working out, but it's like you're you're super good friend, you're close friends with them. Yeah. So it's 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 yeah. hard to to balance that and like like, oh shit, well this guy or girl is just not the right person for this job, but I can't fire them because they're my homie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know I understand. I mean? As soon as you mix that personal work life, it presents a whole set of challenges. But it really, you know, it really does. You know, you've, does. you've got the, I think particularly, I mean, that makes sense to me on the surface, what you just said about digital ambience um, versus the new company that you're, you're working on. Because, I mean, digital ambience is such a creative company that, you know, it makes more sense to have that kind of um, 
demographic of people that are really close to each other and share similar kind of passions, you know, can really get into the groove of something creative together as opposed to an engineering project where, you know, you've got a requirement and you need to actually just generate the required output to, to achieve that, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Digital ambience grew very much out of like a bunch of people coming together to 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 tackle like some problem, like some some art projects, you know, and then that grew into a business and and evolved. Um, and was yeah, all was all that? I mean, did your uh, I know you did a lot of VJing and stuff like that, you know, early on. But when you with your art projects, was that all centered around Burning Man, or was there another forum that you came came together on that? No, man. Digital ambience actually came, it, it came from my work doing concert touring. And then when I, when I was finished with that, I moved to the Bay and I was trying to figure out what to do. And, um, I just kept getting asked, but there was, there was a number of lighting companies that were kind of in orbit around the, the area that I was, I was working. Um, and I just kept getting asked to, to, to do the design and and implement um, these re- like these really weird oddball lighting projects in 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 like commercial spaces, yeah. like the, our first ever project, the project that really launched digital ambience was this this like sixty foot acrylic dragon that got installed in this dude's uh, corporate headquarters down in Los Angeles. Uh, the company was called um, oh, fuck. What was it called? I can't remember. Anyway, it was essentially they buy and sell airplane parts. They're like the Amazon.com of of like airplane parts. And uh, it's a privately held company. And the guy who owns it, he's like uh, Unical. Unical is the name of the company. The guy who owns it is a very eccentric guy. And he was just like, I want a Chinese dragon in my lobby. And I want it to, to glow. And I want it to be animated. And like blah, blah, blah. So he contacted this company that I was was – getting led from and one of the founders of that company was actually my roommate at that time so he was like yeah we've got this really weird guy down in la you should go check it out he wants like some dragon lit up and uh i was actually down in la for another project i'm like what is you know like what the hell what is this and uh yeah i stopped by and it was just like this ridiculous sculpture going in um so yeah i mean you know it's it's like commercial permanent installs that uh where each we each one is like a custom technology challenge you know it's like trying to figure out a different system but like i was saying it's you know at this point we've done so many of these things it's just like it almost feels like rinse and repeat it's like all right what what do you want to stuff leds in now (laughs) like so you don't feel like it's um bespoke each time still no it is definitely bespoke but it's um i think i just know the technology well enough that it's just starting to it's it's not like I don't feel, you know, like that little bit of panic when somebody asks you to do something and you're like, yeah, I can probably do that. And then you like go and you got to figure it out. And like, you think you have a solution, but it's like, you're not positive. And then you like get all the parts and you start to install it. And you're like, well, hopefully, like, I think it's going to work this way. And then it doesn't. And then everything goes to shit and you have to like (laughs) figure it out on the fly. And like, that doesn't happen that often anymore. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. (laughs) So you like being stressed. (laughs) Uh, I mean, not stress, but I, I definitely like that like challenge of trying to figure something unique and unique out, putting together like yeah, a really that. crazy novel system. And um, 
Yeah, there is still some of that. It's just there's less of it. I just I want I'm still looking for for bigger bigger projects that will push us in different directions and like um, we still like there are still some really cool cool problems that we're asked to solve, especially around like volumetric LED lighting. So doing like three dimensional arrays, and I'm really into that. Um, tying in different building systems with uh, with installations that we do, you know, or, or different data sets. So yeah. you know, having uh, like data analytics that that express themselves on on LED installations. That's super cool. Yeah, that is cool. That's very cool. I like the um, uh, stuff you were talking about with Timo as well, and one of your other other podcasts. You know, that sort of live music control going to the lights as well. That stuff I really love. Yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. You know, it's funny. I was actually just working with Timo. He, oh, yeah? um, I think you guys introduced me to him actually, but uh, he, um, yeah, he was helping me understand Elm. You know that you know that software. Yeah, yeah of course. It's yeah. funny. It's it's good software, but it's very much. It's like it is a m- excellent mapping platform. It is not a very good live manipulation software. Yeah. And what I mean by that is like you can map really complex shapes with Elm, and it's awesome. Like it's so much more, it's so much smoother to map in Elm than it is to map in Madrix. Right, yeah. because Madrix is like this grid. It's like you're stuck on this grid, yeah. and that's it. Yeah. It's like LEDs yeah. don't exist on grids anymore, homie. <laughs> like we have evolved <laughs> to the point where we use curves and like circles. Yeah. And try, you know, and Elm is great because it gets that. But the other side of Elm, where you actually like manipulate content across that LED array, yeah. it's just not as not as mature as Madrix. Yeah. So, uh, you and know I think I started... it's also a little bit sort of um, maybe hard to map truly 3D in it. Like I know you've got different stages. And I haven't had that much personal experience with it, but I know you've got the different stages, but it's almost like this paradigm of a 2D flat structure and then, you know, mapping that, in, those different stages together to try and create something 3D rather than truly being able to just put, put points in space. Yeah, neither of those two environments are true 3D environments, Madrix or Elm. They're all postcards in space. You, you call it, you know, 2D yeah. layers stacked. And yeah. um, I don't, I don't do anything 3D really in in either of those two platforms. Um, all my 3D work is done in Smode because yeah. Smode is a Smode is an actual 3D engine. Yeah, it's cool. I haven't, I haven't even looked at how it works. It'd be cool to see you doing something in it in action one time. Yeah, I mean, I'm actually not the best mode programmer. I I bring this guy Vincent and I fly him in from France. <laughs> he like he's such a funny guy, man. He's um, Vincent is like he's he's like one of the best mode programmers in the world. He was like working with them since the beginning, um, but he lives pretty much off the grid. He's kind of like a drifter, <laughs> and he like he refuses to get a smartphone. So he has this like flip phone that he carries around with him, right? So he'll like we'll fly him into the U.S. to to work on projects, and and he'll be like he'll be like, hey, I'm stuck at the airport. I'm like, well, can you get an Uber? Can you like come over? He's like, no, I can't get an Uber. I don't know. You know, it's like he, he's, <laughs> he's not going like, to be able to physically get around soon, or. Well, he has, he has like a paper map that he'll unfold and he'll like, he'll be like navigating with a paper map and I shit you not, he has this compass 
that's like a World War One compass. It's like an OG like fucking pocket compass that he <laughs> will navigate. That's cool. <laughs> he'll navigate around with. And it's like he's just such a cool character, man. I want to do one of these with him actually as well at some point. Yeah. 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 Have you thought about having a group conversation before in this or is it too hard to logistically manage? I don't know, man. Like I, I could, I can see doing a group conversation, but I think that it might be hard to have um, as deep a conversation as one-on-one, you know, it, it it's hard enough to have, you know, with, with latency and, uh, and the way internet conversations go, it's hard enough to have like a one-on-one conversation where where you can each have equal turns to talk you know what i mean yeah 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 it would certainly be nicer if i was uh sharing a beer with you oh i know well it's beer location. time here man it's, yeah, it's yeah. nine it's nine thirty at night <laughs> <laughs> it's only the afternoon so i've just had a coffee to make sure i can stay alert <laughs> well what what time is it what time is it there now uh, it's three thirty. 3:30. All right. Yeah, it's a respectable hour. Yeah. <laughs> so, do you do you guys do you ever work on uh on art projects now at this point or are you pretty much fully involved in in just the hardware? Um, no, not really. I mean, love to, but um I just don't see uh that really being the direction of of Advertech per se. Um, you know, we got into it through I suppose a mix of electronics design and software design, and then uh, you know being creative with that with with a Christmas lighting show. Um, yeah. So it's sort of a shame to not be able to, you know, stay involved in a way in doing that. But it's it's a phase, and just got to commit everything that you know we can to to building up what Avatech actually is to be as good as it can be. I guess for the moment. Yeah, no, I, I totally understand that. And I, I think that, you know, you guys are, are definitely, definitely on the right path. I know that, uh, you, you got started in the, in the Christmas light scene, right? Which is yeah. funny because the Christmas light scene is like this weird cousin of like the light art scene that I'm part of, like yeah. they share the same tools kind of, and it's, it's like, but there's like a wildly different aesthetic. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I know. And, um, I think that even within the, Christmas light scene, I suppose, if you can call it a scene, it's, um, there's definitely a lot of different styles and, um, you know, I think that there's certainly a tendency to just try and cram as many lights as they possibly can and, uh, make it all do some wash color wash sort of thing at a high level, um, which is right. not really my personal taste, but, um, it's, it's certainly becoming more. I suppose achievable for more DIY people at home to to get involved and, and oh, experiment and do something it's, cool like that. You know, it's blown up, man. Like I, you know, just just being around on being like part of the the light art community, you see it like all over the place, and there are these like weird little pockets of like enthusiasts who are trying to do crazy shit with christmas lights and you're like whoa and they're using the same tools they're you they use the same tools man yeah yeah and some of them even um use uh you know stage lighting um, oh yeah and have moving heads i'm like man this is crazy it's like a rock concert on this guy's lawn like <laughs> i'm into it but i wouldn't want to be his neighbor 
<laughs> right that's the thing you know it's yeah. like what what is the what's the end goal here yeah. what, what are we what are we pushing to so but, um, is that how, sorry is i was wondering if that was is, that was like the original like market for advitech controllers yeah well i mean um originally it was and it was more almost an shouldn't say experiment but it we didn't really start the company with necessarily the intention of quitting what we were doing and, you know, selling pixel controllers and making a full-time living off it. Um, it grew into that obviously, but yeah, I mean, we were developing those controllers for, this is my business partner. Um, who's also what was that? It's you're uh, you're a little far away from your mic. So it's, Oh, sorry. That's okay. Yeah. Um, so my business partner, his name's also Luke. He, he was doing that sort of at-home Christmas lighting display for quite a long time. It's really confusing, like both because both you guys are Luke. <laughs> I know, <laughs> like, and there's another Luke to... that works here as well. Yeah. So yeah, it is a bit confusing. But anyway, um, yeah, he he was into it at his house, and he was doing back in the day where he would he would um, he had like this Morse code um, like little device he would tap. That you would you would normally send Morse code out with, and he would use that to try and like pick up different beats and things in the music and create like these little time sliced windows, I suppose. Yeah. And then you know program different effects in there. So back then it was it was very manual, I suppose, um, what was being done. Um, and then he he started doing that display at this. It was a community display. It was like at this joint school slash church property. Yeah. And that's where I was like, hey, I want to, you know, I want to get in, get in on this and be involved. And I suppose we were, we started making our own uh, control systems for RGB LEDs and then subsequently for pixel LEDs just for fun, really. It's like a learning experience more than anything. That's how I learned C, you know, I didn't really know, know about that before, beforehand. Just he actually designed some hardware and then was sort of like, mm, it's going to need some firmware to actually make it work and so i was like yeah i reckon i could i could probably help you figure that out and so we, we worked on it together and made that stuff and you know eventually That's we decided cool. why not sell it and see if anyone else online is interested it was all very community christmas like community based you know on forums and things like that yeah yeah and that's the cool thing that it really did come out of the community and like you get that sense you know when i when i started using pixelite it was uh it was like in that transition period where you were going from like kind of a community project to more of a, a proper product. What was the original, like what was the OG platform? Like what hardware did you use back in the day to create those original units? Um, what electronics did we, did we buy it on? Was it your own custom controller or did you base it on something like a, like an existing microcontroller, like a Pi or a, or a, no, it wasn't. It wasn't uh, put together module like a pie. It was custom electronics from day one, um, running on the STM microcontrollers. So we we originally tried writing Pixlite on eight bit microcontroller, and uh, we weren't weren't satisfied with you know what what kind of performance we could get out of that. So we went up to the thirty two bit ones, um, and yeah, it's progressed. We've stayed with that family the whole time. Actually, we've progressed. We're on our third generation at the moment. Yeah, they're awesome little chips, really. They can do a lot. And that's what I really love about programming too, personally. Like, I really enjoy the aspect of making something physical 
sort of happen out of yeah. you know the code rather than just programming on computers. So absolutely, yeah, I love that that aspect of it. Well, there is something special about having, uh, like, playing with a system that has, um, it, like, a virtual system that has has reach into the real world. That's why I like IoT so much. Yeah, totally. you know, it's like you're you're programming reality, and that's yeah, cool. that's it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love it. And you get no one ever understands it though. No one other than a programmer or someone that's got a similar interest understands when you say. Shit, yes, I just flashed that LED for the first time, like some status <laughs> LED, a boring little red LED on a PCB or something like that, you know. Um, but it is an achievement <laughs> when you're into that kind of thing. So how did you decide to use, how did you settle on that microcontroller? Um, like you must have gone through question. iterations and like like played around. I have a couple buddies who are are working on an LED control platform and they're, They've gone through like a handful of different microcontrollers. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, there's probably, I probably wouldn't say that ST are the only vendor that we could achieve the same thing with. Um, I guess the reason we're still using them is partly because we've been using them for so long that we've got a good grasp on them. Um, and it's partly because they've just, they've got, they pack a lot of features into the silicon. So, you know, to achieve, what we're trying to do with a fairly cheap microcontroller at the center of it, you've got to actually, you know, take advantage of some of the physical peripherals in the device. So, you know, like what, some, what, what are some physical features or, or some features that are, that are baked in that you guys use? Um, like for example, DMA controllers and the flexibility of DMA. So, you know, it's um, originally in, in Pixlite Mark one, you know, in the first ones, it was just commands, just manually the processor sort of bit banging the output, you know, yeah. like um, literally a command saying, turn this line high, turn it low now, wait yeah, too much yeah. time, that kind of thing. You know? But um, that's not as scalable. So it's, it's cool when you can start, um, you know, offloading some of that sort of work to the, the physical devices using that, that kind of DMA. Explain DMA to, to people who, who don't know what that is uh well direct mem direct memory access is what it stands for it's basically just a uh, how to explain it um you imagine that you can you've got a physical piece of silicon that runs in parallel with your cpu and it can move things around um different parts of the device so you, you know you can program it to take some certain data from a region in RAM and move it to another region in RAM or, or move it into another piece of the silicon that is a timer or, uh, you know, a hardware peripheral or like an SPI peripheral or a GPIO port. So, and then the ST chips just have some neat little um, ways of linking things together too. So yeah, they've got this nice, it's almost, it's not like an FPGA, but They've got a, they've I was got just some... gonna ask, like, have you <laughs> fucked around with FPGAs before? Yeah, they're sick. They're awesome. Yeah, they're expensive too, though. They are, and it's also it's not just the FPGA; it's all the other stuff that goes around it, like the fact that you now need, God knows, four power rails or something like that to drive the thing, and you know, you might need a, uh, it, you know, they often don't don't have embedded some of the stuff embedded in that a microcontroller would have, like RAM. Um, you know, so oh, now I've got to put some DDR RAM on it. 
it's way overkill. Like I don't need a gig of DDR. Anymore. Isn't that the point <laughs> of the FPGA though? You can turn it into whatever hardware you want. So an yeah, FPGA absolutely. for people who don't know is uh, like a piece of silicon, almost like a, like a processor that you can simulate different hardware with. So it's almost like a, it's like a blank slate of hardware that you can just create memory or create processor or create whatever it is that you need to, to create your system. Yeah. Yeah, that's it. And I mean, to be honest, this kind of um, product would lend itself well to an FPGA architecture for sure. Um, but nonetheless, we've been able to achieve um, good results without going down that path. So we haven't for now. It's also a very different, um, you need different types of developers to work on that as well. Like it's not the same thing as ordinary um, programming of firmware. And and that is not the same thing as programming software on a PC. So I guess. Sure. So are you guys split basically between hardware and software people? Like, do you have a team of software and a team of hardware developers and they work in tandem or? How does that break down? Yeah, definitely the people that are doing the software design and not the ones doing the electronics design. But they've also got a pretty good understanding of electronics from being in the industry and because their software focus is on firmware development. So, you, you know, you have to. Um, so, yeah, definitely different um, people working on those different aspects. But there's, there's also a lot more, I guess, to the company as well, apart from just the engineers developing stuff. There's the production team and that sort of side of things as well, which we've put a lot of focus on. Um, What's the production team? What do you mean production team? Oh, I mean, in terms of actually manufacturing the physical product. Right. You know? Yeah. So that's a whole other thing again. It's like <laughs> create an electronic design, create some software that can run on it. Okay, well, now how do you actually... How do you build that reliably and, um, you know, how, how, how can you manufacture that? And, um, do you manufacture in Australia or do you have that out in, yeah. in China? No, originally we, we outsourced it to China and we just said, look, here's our design. You just make this and then send it back to us and we'll, we'll program it with firmware and we'll test it and stuff like that. But it was, it was way too hard <laughs> to get consistent quality out of doing that. So, you know, like we would fix a problem and then a month later that would be fixed and another problem would happen. And then it was just a never-ending sort of uh, issue with that. So we onshored it and we do some of the electronics assembly in-house and we outsource some of it to a local company um, who does some of the other parts of the assembly and we do all the mechanical assembly and quality control and that kind of thing in-house. It's been so much better doing that. It's, a lot more complicated to manage um, because you've got to manage like hundreds of different components and timing of all of those. And so it's been an interesting, interesting journey to figure out the best way to manage all that, but it's so, so worth it. So you guys have just like a basement full of pick and place machines or? No, the, the SMT side of things is what we outsource. And then we do, so we've got a machine for doing through hole, a, a selective soldering machine. Have you seen those before? What's it called? A selective soldering machine. It's like a um, a robot that has a well. It's a, the solder bath comes up uh, with this nozzle, and it it's programmed to drive around and go up and solder some pins and move this way and then drop down. And 
move over again. And so, you know, we've got people here that put all of the three hole parts in, but then the machine actually goes through and does all the soldering. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's pretty interesting. Cool. I mean, I like that paradigm of like making things in house. We're trying to figure out how to do that um, with the fixtures we're manufacturing. Uh, yeah. I mean, fortunately, there's some there's some pretty good fixture manufacturers in China that you know we've worked with for a long time. But uh, you know, hearing hearing about your experience with quality uh, and and QC is just you know that's yeah that's the big unknown. It's like can we have consistent quality over a large run of these these devices? Yeah, well, I mean, it's a it's a challenge um, in any business to to manage quality. So you know, if you're if you don't actually have the control to change things that you need to change to improve that, then you're really at the mercy of someone else and how good their quality control system is. So then there's not much you can do about it except change suppliers. <laughs> yeah, pretty much, pretty much, man. So I know you guys were working with, you guys had a, a big contract. I don't know if I can even say who it was with, but you guys had like a big contract cannot say who it was with all right fine well so that big contract are you still like that was with one of the the big tech companies and are are you still working with them yeah we are yeah that's been great um really interesting to work in a different type of market to anything we've worked in in the past i mean you've obviously got a lot of experience in um, artistic sort of light artists market we call you guys light artists <laughs> internally. Well, that's we're what we, call, to... we, we call ourselves light artists. <laughs> yeah, that's it. But you're also in the architectural space and there's a, there's a bit of crossover there. Um, but, you know, one thing that's been interesting about, about this um, project from our side is seeing how this technology can get used in different markets. And, yeah. um, you know, every market is unique and, and they have their own interesting um, challenges. But... Yeah, the, I mean, the what you were just referring to is basically like logistics um, processing. So, yeah. you know, how can our control systems um, help people in factories more efficiently, um, you know, process just bulk um, parcels and pick and pack operations really is the... Right, it's a much it. more industrial use, but it's still, it's like animated lighting can be used for so many different things you know yeah. and there's yeah i mean there's there's a that's a really cool example of a company using animated lighting to streamline a process in an industrial setting yeah yeah that's it and, it's and like, I, yeah. it'll be really interesting to see what other opportunities like that come up in the future i mean it could be just a special case but um you know i i don't think so i, I think Certainly, people will, as the technology becomes more ubiquitous, people will find more interesting ways to to work with it. Um, and I think I think making it easily accessible to people is probably one of our roles. Uh, uh, you know, one of the, one of the roles we have at Advertech, and one of the things we're trying to do because you've got people like yourself and the people you hang out with are very technical, very switched on. Um, I think you know, quick learners um, and really love, I think actually enjoy getting into the details of the technology. Oh, um, yeah. Um, I think there's so many other people out there that are doing 
still artistic things, but just don't have that level of technical expertise. So it's it's an interesting challenge to try and help make the technology available to them as well. I think. Yeah. Well, it's it, your your product is cool because it just speaks a pretty universal protocol, universal language, you know, of lighting, and it's like, yeah, do whatever you want with it. You know, we speak this language. You you guys are like a Swiss Army knife of addressable pixels. And and that's that's the cool thing about the firmware that you've written. It, that is the Swiss Army knife. You know, it's a it is a very very useful tool in like the stage between soldering your installation together and making patterns for it with with a with a mapping tool. Yeah, you have to like configure and and address those pixels. And that's actually that feature that you wrote for us where. It allows us to count pixels on an installation. Yeah. We just finished an installation where we essentially were just throwing pixels into this tree, you know, and it's like the ability to count how many pixels are wrapped around each branch. You can't do that by hand, man, you know, and this is like a constant thing in all of our projects. And it was cool that we could work with you to implement that feature. Um, yeah. Yeah. Well, it's good to get the feedback. Sometimes it's the simple things that can make a difference. Have you heard from anybody else using that feature, the pixel counting feature in your, in your thing? Um, Other people use that? I don't know if they do, to be honest, but it's like that with a lot of the features. It's like you've written something, you know, some people use it. Who knows who's actually using it. We don't generally get too much detailed feedback from our customers of uh, every single feature that they like or don't like, you know, usually even if, uh, actually, we did some feedback um, recently, which you, you know, helped participate in, which was nice. Um, but it's you still make it's pretty, it's high level, you know. It's not like um, getting into the the weeds of all of the little firmware features. You should make you should do a survey or something. Seriously, man, it's product yeah. market fit. You know, finding out like who's using what features in your product, and and like what do people love what do people what is annoying to people yeah and then you can like really tailor it i don't know like who your main customers are um but you should do that for every big customer just be like yeah, what do you like what, what do you need yeah how do you decide what features to implement in your in your like in the software that you write like what's that process like um well we obviously track feature requests um Unfortunately, we can't always implement all of those or even at least necessarily on the platform that people want us to, to implement them on. So it's an interesting balance between collecting a, a feature request list of people that we've grabbed over time and business case for doing it. Um, obviously, it costs money to implement everything. and um, you know, But the, our Mark III, the Pixar Mark III that we've been working on, we've crammed in a lot of features into that. Um, in fact, so that's still not out yet, though. Yeah, that it's not okay, out cool. yet. Okay, cool. Yeah, but we're still using Mark II. Yeah, 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 that's right. Sorry, yeah, I should have clarified that. But yeah, look at that. That's almost ready. Um, a lot of the hardware for that is going through certifications at the moment. So, um, but once that processor comes out, it's going to be pretty flexible for the years to come for us to develop more features on two because it's been architected in a way that's more modular and from the ground up, you know, we'll be able to extend on it into the future. So I'm pretty excited about that. The pixel counting thing that you talked about before is it's interesting because uh, a, 
I've actually thought further about that and, um, you know, in this, on our Mark III hardware, and most of the controllers will have current sensing on them. Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah. So there's no reason you can write an algorithm that says, all right, try turning on LEDs more and more and more of them. And then, you know, when you stop seeing current changing, you know, you can figure out how many LEDs are actually connected to that output. So you could even automate what you were just talking about. Yeah, that would, that would, you'd have to, you'd have to, there's a lot of factors that can affect the current draw of a, of a pixel, including temperature, including, yeah. like, you yeah, know, whether yeah. it's an RGBW <laughs> pixel, like how that pixel is constructed. But uh, yeah, I think that that's, that, that would be a really cool feature. I'll tell you though, man, the biggest improvement to that feature would be the ability to advance forward and backward with the keyboard with the, the up and down arrows <laughs> seriously yeah there you go <laughs> yeah i mean that's that's a thing yeah. um so can you tell can you tell us anything about the mark three because you've been working on that for a long time i know everybody who has ever used a pixelite has probably used a pixelite mk2 um i've actually never even used an mk1 so i don't really know the difference honestly but like mk3 i'm so familiar with your with your second gen hardware What's going on with the third? Can you give us a sneak peek or tell us about any features that you're excited about? Or, um, yeah, sure. I mean, the so the the core processor is changed. It's a new. It's again, like I said before, it's also still an SCM processor, but um, it's a it's a newer architecture and it's got some more features on it that we're taking advantage of. So, I Bigger, guess better, smaller, faster. Yeah, yeah, faster. Um, <laughs> the software the software has been written better and takes advantages of more of the hardware so you know you could get hundreds of frames per second if you need to um oh that's from, great from an art point of view um that translates to being able to you know implement better gamma correction so yes i think that'll be i think that'll be nice even if you've got 8-bit pixels you know if, if you can out it depends obviously on a lot of factors like if you connect a thousand leds to the output which is right. a nightmare to practically do um, but right. some people do, you know, then it's, it's not going to be a awesome refresh rate, but well, that's on, that's on the, that's on the designer of the piece. Yeah. That's you know, I don't think that you can, you can correct for that. If somebody overloads an output that's on them. Yeah. But, um, I think that better gamma correction is something that we've been, we've always strived for. Yeah. That's and why I we think... migrated away from the 28 XX pixel, you know, 2812, because they're their dynamic range sucks. <laughs> their yeah, PWM right. rate sucks. Yeah, hundred percent. They they do. <laughs> they definitely do. But we, you know, with um, when you can achieve really fast um, frame rates, you can also then start toggling. You can sort of have persistence of vision on two levels. So with the PWM rate, you obviously got persistence of vision in the LED itself, turning the LED on and then off, but it looks just on to you at a certain brightness. You mm -hmm. know, um, but if we can control the LEDs and tell them to change their data really fast, we can achieve persistence of vision between frames. So, you know, we can then tell, you know, if you want to effectively tell it to be value 1.5 for an 8-bit pixel, you know, you can we can say, okay, be value 1, now be value 2, now be value 1, now be value 2 really, really fast, then it sort of looks like value 1.5. So how would you, would you do that in hardware or would that be like a set, something set up in the, in the, 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 firmware that you write or would that be something that you would have like i understand how to over to to drive pixels at like 100 frames per second 
from our mapping software through your controllers and we can do that now yeah yeah well no it's done in the firmware um so if you imagine you've got lighting software sending 40 frames per second um you know the mark III processor will sit there and it will output 40 frames per second by default as well like it'll it'll sync itself onto onto the source um but if it's if it's capable of doing 200 frames per second or exactly what the numbers are that are required to be honest off the top of my head i've forgotten the dithering but um you know in, in, in between every time you give us new data we can output you know maybe 10 times to the led back and forth to change between these two values that means we can give it a better response so you, you know the gamma correction is um, a curve that you can control in the pixel settings but it's really work that the processor the pixel processor is doing to you know change your 8-bit data a little bit you know, into a logarithmic shape. Yeah, well, it's it's, it's like to me, gamma correction and the and the the brightness curve, and the dynamic range comes down to when you're dimming, when you have content that's not a hundred percent on for for the the three color channels or four color yeah. channels. You know, when you're dimming down to fifty percent, does that actually look like half half the way between full on and full off? And when you're doing fades, um, where content fades um, across arrays of LEDs, how smooth are those fades? You know, how how smoothly do do areas of dim content and bright content fade between each other? And you know, that's yeah. to, for me. That's always been a matter of improving the pixels that we use, right? Yeah, um, have higher PWM rates in the pixels. And then, I mean, really, that's what it comes down to. There's, I've never been able to adjust gamma curve through the processor before. Yeah, well, you can adjust the gamma curve through Pixar Mark II as well um, if you've got pixels that actually can apply gamma correction to, but, you know, they have to be greater than 8 bits. Um, and to be honest, that's always going to be the best way to do it. Just, you know, especially as they become more and more common and there's God knows how many... Um, pixel chips available now you know more and more of them are starting to have 12 or 16 bit that'll always be the best way to do it but the other stuff is just so common you know people some people when they think of pixels they think literally ws 28 something so you know it's so for for those users yeah hopefully you can still get a a bit of a performance kick even though the hardware is not awesome yeah i mean most of the pixels that we use are still 8-bit unfortunately and yeah. it's um you know it's it's hard to find an affordable pixel that's 16 bit um or even 12 bit that's uh that's available to be integrated into the the common form factors that we use you know like strip or pucks or whatever it is yeah yeah it's particularly hard with the strips i think um you've really got to buy you've almost just got to find an integrated 50 50 lead with something in it but you know if you want to start customizing the strip too much it does become hard to then also put a more advanced ic on the strip reliably Uh, yeah what's a good what's a good like 12 or 16 bit integrated 50 50 chip that you can you can integrate into like your own form factors of led strip or pucks or whatever um I would have to check our own website, to be honest, to give you the <laughs> Your website answer. is great as an educational resource. <laughs> We're trying to do that. We're trying to put, some, put a bit of focus on that, definitely. Um, but, you know, an IC that's not integrated, like the MY92 series, they're great. Um, 
you know, they're 16 bit bit drivers. And if you're creating a custom, have you created custom PCB fixtures? Much before? Oh yeah. Yeah. That's a lot of what we yeah. do. Yeah. So they're a great chip to use on those. Um, we've done some of those as well and they, they turn out well because you can adjust the uh, red, green, blue and white if you're using it current so you can get the LED itself to naturally get its uh, primary colors mixing together nicely. And then you can also apply gamma correction with 16-bit data from the Pixlite. So it's like- Where different- is that feature in the Pixlite? The Pixlite for, I've never seen that. <laughs> there's a, uh, where, where you select the Pixel chip, there's, there's three sliders down the bottom. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, or four if it's RGBW. And you can just, yeah. it's it, you probably haven't seen it because it's on by default. So if you've ever used 12 or 16-bit pixels with Pixar Mark II, unless you've purposely disabled it, you've already been taking advantage of gamma correction built into the controller, basically. It okay. defaults to a value of two, and that, that number is just basically a, um, affecting the shape of the logarithmic curve that it maps it onto. If you turn them sure. all down to one, it's nothing. It's like linear. Yeah, yeah. Interesting. That's cool, man. I'm going to have to get myself some uh, 16-bit pixels. <laughs> yeah, you should. They're cool. If you do a little demo side by side, you'll never go back again. You're just like, wow, the difference is phenomenal. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so I guess that's that's one feature that's probably not really actually that relevant to a lot of our customer base. Like they wouldn't really care too much about that, but for like artistic sort of um, installations like what you're into, it's certainly... Um, a cool little one. Um, you know, they'll have some dual gigabit Ethernet ports as well, so you can daisy chain them. Um, That's great. So it's got an Ethernet uh, Ethernet switch built in. Yeah, it's got an Ethernet switch built in, and that Ethernet switch, um, this is cool. I can talk about all the little nerdy aspects of it with you. <laughs> but the, yeah, let's the, go. Let's the, do it, dude. Let's get into it. The, the let's Ethernet get into it. Switch IC has um, a type of memory in it called TCAM. Mm-hmm. Um, which is like with RAM, you know, you can you can say what's the data at this address, and it will tell you back this is the data at this address. But with TCAM, you can say here's the data, and it'll tell you back this is the address that that's located at in in, in the, at the same speed that RAM will. Which mm-hmm. is probably I've probably just gone into too much detail, but the bottom line is you can set up these um, rules in the silicon to sort of match certain patterns. So we can match patterns within Ethernet frames and we can then apply like firewall rules to them. So basically, if you've got gigabit traffic going through, but you don't want to overload the processor, the Pixlite processor, we can filter out all this junk traffic and only forward the stuff that it actually wants. Oh, Um, interesting. Yeah. So I guess there's part of that um, is just a robustness thing, but also there's some software out there that, broadcast artnet um you know rather than unicasting it so that oh yeah i mean is, that's just bad practice it is bad practice yeah that's right <laughs> but you know you could do that and it will be okay if you do that with this uh yeah i mean like in the installations that we do that's just that's super bad form because if you're in somebody's corporate office and you're just splooging artnet data across their <laughs> their, their their company network yeah, it people get pissed off you know? <laughs> people people are like what the fuck are you doing yeah <laughs> like, i think i'd like... be asking for my own vlan if i was doing something like that yeah well of course i mean we do that anyway but yeah. um yeah we 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 always broad we always uh unicast yeah that's it so that's cool but, so you, you know gotta... some people don't have the um 
they don't even understand what what that means you know sure you know, that's not them being stupid by any means it's it's an advanced sort of networking to even just understand that you know it's not the kind of thing that um for example a signage company that is used to dealing with led strips you know they don't understand that kind of concept and it, so the more we can make the products um more resilient to things being done incorrectly the more wider sort of market appeal you know we can, we can get yeah. hopefully absolutely so um so that's cool man so having a built-in ethernet switch is really key uh it just eliminates another piece of hardware and it allows your 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 device to be used in kind of like a serial chain method um which is going to be which is really nice so um what else what are some of these features that you've packed into the firmware that you're stoked about um record ability to record and playback content is oh my god um, yes (laughs) <laughs> how how how, lo- how long and across how many universes <laughs> well it'll you'll be able to do it for the full number of universes that the controller can handle which is 96 pixel universes um Dude. but you know the frame rate that you can record at will obviously vary depending on how much data it is that you're trying to record that is so so i've been i've been uh I've been looking for a reliable way to record and play, record and playback artnet data for a while, and I've been using Ntex pixel recorder thingy. Yep, which is yep, fine. Yep, yep. It's fine, but it's like it's a feature that like it should just be built into the controller. <laughs> it should be, you know. Yeah, and it's been hard. Like we've had this, we've had people request from us before. What can we use to to do that? Um, even if it's a, a third party device. So that we don't have to have a whole computer there, you know. Um, with, Ntex thing does it. It does it yeah, fine. I've used but it's it before. Pretty new. It's pretty recent. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, it's been around. It's actually just now been like the thing is, it's like you've been able to record like you know two, four, six, eight universes here oh, and yeah, there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Any installation that uses LED pixels, man, is going up into the 20, 30, 60, 80 universes pretty quick. Yeah. You, yeah, you know what I mean, like it, it, and that's the yeah. problem. That's where there's there's limited options. I, to be honest, I actually still think there's a place for a device like that um, that is a central place to record it. And I think if you're going to have quite a few controllers in the display, that might make more sense than trying to record bits and pieces of it to multiple controllers at the same time. But oh no no no, you you want a central one. You want a central yeah. place where you record your show, you play it back. Yeah yeah. So, so how does that work? Is it like would you have to have like a master controller? that fed out to the to the other controllers or do you, no, can you do the that? way that it's working within the <laughs> three well actually it's not going to be in firmware version one but the way that it's it's gonna it's gonna work is it's a distributed content um sort of record and playback so if you were recording to multiple devices at once you would still need a way to trigger them you know to play back it depends on your use case really um, how do you synchronize how do you sync so say you've got a big installation Say you've got like, I don't know, like f- three three of the sixteen output pix lights, and you want to record a show coming in from Madrix. You design a show in Madrix. You play it back on your pixels. You want to say, I want to get. I don't want to leave my laptop here. I don't want to buy a media server. Yeah. I want to play my show back into these pix lights. Describe that workflow. Well, to actually generate the recording in the first place, you 
want to trigger them to start recording, which you could do through um, well, the most crude way would be literally through a web interface manually on each board, pressing you know record, um, and then pressing then stop. How do you synchronize and then them? Do you have to synchronize them? Well, yeah, I'm just, that would be the most crude way to be to begin mm. it, um, and then rely on some kind of loop detection in the controller to sort of trim bits of that out so that you've got a, a, a nice recording in each one. Um, but you could also start a recording through like an art and trigger or um, some other means like that. Like if you've got a physical DMX network, like if you've got a um, lighting console that you're trying to integrate with it all, they'll have, you know, the DMX on Mark III can be input or output. So you could use that to trigger things or um, sort of like take a bit of live control over it. So maybe you want to, you know, have a fader physically on your desk that can control the intensity up and down. Um, it, could, it could do that kind of thing as well. But I digress from triggering. Um, the actual... No, say you, say you have a show that's playing across like three or four of your controllers. Yeah. How would you like record, like trigger a start record on all of them, record a show? Can, could you do it into like a set of files? Like this is scene one, file one. This is scene two, file two. Yeah, you could you would you could start. Um, well, the user interface for this isn't um, complete yet. Maybe I need to get your input. <laughs> but you, Dude, you could, we should work on it together, man. Yeah, we should totally. totally work on this together. <laughs> the the um, yeah, you would be able to sort of break it down into different shows. So you might say, "I'm going to start recording whatever arbitrary name you want to call you." your show to actually start the device from doing the recording it could be like listening for a trigger something so you might be like recording universes one to a hundred of our net you might say universe 101 also just listen into that and when you see channel one do something then start recording and when you see it do something else then stop recording to you yeah. know help help keep them synced so i think that would be if you really wanted to be precise about it that would be probably the best way to go that would be a great way to trigger to be able to trigger start and stop yeah yeah. Yeah, that's really cool, man. I've been I've been I've been waiting for somebody to come up with like a really robust way to record like dozens of universes. Because yeah. right now like Entex you can do it with Entech. It's a little bit kludgy. You got to you do trigger start and stop via a web interface and that actually works fairly well, you know. But it's only one device, and that's the thing: is that like you've got a single device where you're recording your your universe. And I think you can do up to like I can't even remember. I think it's like forty something universes. It's enough for like a signage project, you know? Yeah. Now, what I think if you're going to have many pixel controllers in the one display, I'm I'm not convinced yet that even the report and playback that we're building in would really be the suitable way to run it. I think a central device would be better ultimately and easier to manage because you do just have to worry about doing it on one and then it's just like a computer replacement, you know, the rest of them just pass yeah. through listen. But, you know, well, that device fair, needs you're... to be able to do a thousand universes or something like that. You know? Well, like, I mean, so to be fair, to be fair, your your devices, like what is a Pixlite, what is a, a Pixlite 16 or MK216? What is, what is, how many universes does that, deal it, with it can do up to 96 pixel universe. yeah that's that's crazy man that's that's so many fucking universes yeah 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 and it's, like, and when it's do you uh, more than 96 universes yeah when do you use more than that in total i mean um, like there's most of my projects fall within 100 universes sometimes they go beyond that depending but yeah. you know like 
most of the stuff we do is architectural and yeah. very little of it is like you know like an led wall <laughs> you yeah know what i mean yeah that's right and to be honest i don't think I think most of our customers would use the products in a way that they're not even close to utilizing the maximum theoretical number of pixels you can have on an output. Like, of course, there's customers that do do that, but um, it's more, especially, you know, that's a little bit of, I'd say that's a bit of a remnant in a sense from the Christmas lights hobbyist community where people will, will actually do that, um, you know, because it's out of your personal budget and your time is, I suppose free because you're doing it as a hobby anyway. Like that whole right. point is that it's something you do with your time. Whereas commercially speaking, it would cost you more money to do that than it would to just use more controllers and connect more outputs because of all the other complications with the electrical wiring. So yeah, we that's 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 what we do. We essentially we we connect pixels to the outputs as is convenient yeah. and as saves time and labor. Um, and that is very rarely using the full output potential of, of an output. Yeah, that's right. But um, yeah, that's huge, man. Recording and playback—that's a big one. Yeah, so, I actually, to be honest, I'm surprised that you have that perspective because so much of what you do is more—I don't know—interactive. Or I get the impression, you know, there's some. It's actually light. not interactive generally. Like sometimes it's interactive. Yeah. But mainly, mainly it's playing back complex shows, and you know, like why, why leave the recording studio at the fucking installation? If you yeah. could just leave a CD. <laughs> yeah. 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 True. True. You know, yeah. um, that's cool though. So what, what else, what else you guys got planned? Um, any well, generative patterns or anything? No, I think we've, we've thought about that and I think it would, our philosophy is a bit more, it'd be better for one of the countless computer software packages that have, a, you know, their own little niche way of doing something to be able to generate that content um, yeah. than what we could possibly try. And I mean, where do you even begin? Like, you know, every different software package is sort of, uh, I guess, geared towards a different market or application or use case or style. Yeah. So yeah, how do you possibly try and do that? I don't know. Like, um, what we what we would hopefully like to do instead of that is just have perhaps uh, well the record and playback kind of gets around that in a sense because people can record their own and then deploy them onto boards that they ship for multiple different installations or we could yeah. even we could even have a library per se of you know effects where people can download them and just save them onto the device rather than having the device trying to generate them in the first place. Yeah. So how about saving data to and from those devices? Like in, I've talked to you guys about this before, but, you know, having like a, like a, you know, like a backup setting where you can essentially create like a, like a backup of your configuration, like you do in a router. Yeah, that's, totally. that's, that's overdue. You guys yeah. got to do that. <laughs> yeah. The Mark three has got that. Um, yeah, yeah. It's a totally different um, configuration paradigm with that though. Like there'll still be the Avatech assistant tool, to help you discover and manage a, a, a you know, whole series of them, but it'll be a different software version and it'll have a whole bunch of new features in it. And then the actual device configuration is web-based. So double-click on it, it pops up a configuration tool that's actually- Oh, interesting. So it's browser-based. Yeah, it's a single-page application. So it's like a, uh, I don't know if you've heard that terminology in web 
before, but it's basically like an application that's running in your browser. So it's not like literally click a link, all right, I'm going to go to a new URL, wait for that to load, you know, static page. It's live, interactive. There's little graphs that can show you your frame rate and things, and it's all pushing. It's a bi-directional link, you know, between the controller and your, your uh, web browser. So how do you... In, in a paradigm like that, one of, the, one of the coolest things about your firmware, the application, is the discovery feature. Yep. Like I can open that application up on a computer and even if I'm, even if I'm in the wrong domain, I can like <laughs> find all the controllers on the network and then change their IP addresses and yeah. I don't have to go and fuck with the IP address of my machine or any of that. Yeah. I can find everything on the network related yeah. to Advitech and then I can configure it. How are you doing that with a web app? Um, well, all of that will still exist and it will be even more feature-rich. Um, so there's still be the Avatech Assistant tool, V3, yeah. right? Um, yeah. And it'll discover controllers. But when you double-click on them, it'll load the configuration interface from the controller and display it in uh, a web browser pane. It doesn't actually go into your computer's web browser. It looks like it's part of the Assistant tool, but what it's actually doing is going to the controller grabbing the web um, interface application off it, downloading it really quickly, and then displaying the application dynamically to you. So, you know, it's easier to do updates as well. Um, but the, dis really slick. the discovery mechanism is still all going to be there and, in fact, um, a little bit more advanced too. So if you've got large installations, it'll reliably find every controller every time, um, regardless of what other sort of traffic is going on there. Um, and it could be routed across VLANs if you want to get fancy and stuff like that too. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So that's super cool, man. Now, the, this this uh, MK3, are they available? Like what form factor are they going to take? Are they only going to come in the pro, pro editions or are they coming in both? Yeah. Look, we're developing a whole range of new hardware at the moment as well, which will be what these uh, Mark III processors run on. Um, so I guess you could lump it into a category called pro, but really there'll be lots of categories within the hardware itself too. Like there'll be hardware that's designed for, um, indoor use. There'll be stuff that's designed for weatherproof outdoor use, um, and even touring with or without power supplies in it. But in terms of what you, you obviously use our PCB product. A lot. Yeah, yeah. You know, that's the core and that's what our business has been built from. But we're not going to keep making PCB only, only products. We're not going to keep yeah, it makes sense, making new it really ones, makes sense. you know? Yeah, yeah. yeah, for many, many reasons. Um, but yeah, I, I think that it'll, it'll be a better experience overall because it'll be more robust. Even if you want to install it into your own box with other things, it's not like you're not touching a circuit board. You know, it's got, yeah. it's got some little plastic at least enclosure and, you know, it can have you know, all these new products will have more protection built in. So, you know, I, yeah. I think the products have been pretty reliable so far, but there still can always be room for improvement. And we're definitely doing that on the new hardware as well with ability for people to just mess things up and still <laughs> it's okay. They're incredibly reliable. Even the PCB versions, yeah. you know, it's, it's funny, man, because like we've deployed so many of those things and they've, They've like occasionally will break one, but it's, it's rare. And you know what we actually do it is kind of like our, 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 our like de facto deployment of your PCB versions. Do you know what, um, do you know what flex seal is? Flex seal. 
like it's a, a rub- silicon. It's a, it's a paint. Yeah, it's paintable rubber. <laughs> okay. So we paint your PCBs with Flex Seal. <laughs> no matter yeah, what. Yeah, I think I it, heard you it, mentioned previously you put it in an epoxy sort of like a yeah. Well, it pro- <laughs> it protects it against ESD. It protects it against moisture. We can take that Flex Seal coated PCB and we can put it in an extern like an outdoor enclosure and be confident that even if the enclosure leaks, it's not going to fry the board. Like we have those things all over the place, man. Yeah. And yeah. Indoor, outdoor, and they're bomb proof yeah well one thing that we um did pretty early on in our hardware even in the mark ii series is use industrial rated um electronic components so they all, you know i don't know if you know but most electronic components come with different temperature ratings so we use yeah, yeah. industrial range so because some of the places they were getting put especially over in the states it was cold like real cold oh yeah <laughs> um so yeah it's been great to see them work reliably in those environments for sure yeah yeah that's cool man it's it's i mean i think that was one of the 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 main reasons we were attracted to the product it was like wow this is so um it's so robust it's, it's really hard to break them oh that's good i i'm glad to hear that yeah so so who else is using this thing like who else like you know i, I know timo uses them like who else off the top of your head who are some notable notable creatives ah creatives in your world um i think you know obscura oh yeah well Um, they don't they actually went out of business have they they been bought by madison square garden yeah that that um and they're, they're doing some dome i've seen this thing online where they've got this massive dome and i think i'm not sure when you were talking to someone else on the show um, once before you were talking about, I'm not sure if that's what you were talking about, but that thing was awesome in theory. Yeah. Well, Matthew Reagan, Matthew Reagan is, um, was, was a, a, was a developer for Obscura. He, he was, he did a lot of their touch designer um, programming yeah. and he, uh, we, we talked about that a bit. He's a, uh, he's, he's a good friend. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. 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 That's who you were talking to. Yeah. Yeah. It's cool. yeah. Um, I don't know all of them off the top of my head. There's, it's it's been harder and harder to be honest to stay in touch with who our customers are and have that sort of personal relationship with them as as time goes on. Um, yeah, well, I'm glad we're getting to have have a conversation, man. I like to, I I really enjoy having a relationship of some kind with the people who build the tools that we use. I like to at least know who they are. Yeah, do you know what I mean? Yeah, it's yeah. uh, it makes it so much easier to to trust a tool when you know who makes it yep and you kind of know what they're all about and i think that there's a lot of innovation that comes out of that as well with particularly your industry i mean it's different for every industry there's different innovations that happen but i feel like the artistic uh, light artists that's where you're kind of pushing the boundaries a bit like you guys will break things and um you know what i mean try and try and improve it and actually take the time to give that feedback whereas other industries so much more commercial and it's just a means to an end and yeah, um, yeah. you know what i mean so i yeah I, I love that um you're so interactive with us yeah no it's cool man it's been it's been good getting to know you guys and you know learning what your your process is yeah so are you are you planning on um when you push out the new pro pro mk3 model you know line of of 
products. Are you going back to LDI? Are you going to do some marketing stuff? Yeah, how are you, how are yeah you we, definitely, we definitely need to do that. I mean, uh, I don't know what's going on. I don't know when that'll be back. Are they doing a virtual um, thing next? I don't next? know. I, I, should, no? I should touch base with them. They may yeah. be doing something this year. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. Definitely need to get along to that and uh, we can catch up in person. Yeah, but, I was just going to say, man, you make sure you let me know when you're down there and yeah. uh, I'd also be very interested in, yeah, just kicking it at your booth or like talking to you about what you're doing for a booth or, you, you know, any of that stuff. Yeah, it'd, yeah. It'd be cool we, to like, we need to get into all of that. You know, we've been very, we're engineers, you know, like um, very focused on just making something that we think is cool and reliable and has awesome features, you know what I mean? But not so much on sales and marketing. And, uh, I, you know, that's an area that, that we, where we're working on. And I think certainly um, having a presence at those shows is going to be something important moving forward. And also yeah, good to just help is. build relationships too. Like, yeah. yeah, absolutely. Well, if you're going to have an installation at LDI, you're going to have to power a really cool LED yeah, thing. that's it. That's it. We're gonna need someone to design the LED thing for us. <laughs> I know, man. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> LDI. I, I can't wait to go back to LDI, man. It's it's really it's a collection of like the coolest nerds yeah. that I know in the industry. You know yeah. what I mean? And it's like it's show production people, it's engineers, it's it's designers, it's yeah. a shit ton of people who are trying to find product. Um it's just such a cool mix and it's like i love the energy of that conference i love like you know last time i went i just i wasn't associated with any product or anything i literally just showed up i got a free floor pass and i just know so many people there i got an airbnb and i was just like hanging out with hanging out with all my friends the whole week it's so good yeah that sounds fun <laughs> have yeah, you been to any other ones in europe before i know you go to europe a bit yeah i went to um pro light and sound ProLight and Sound is really cool. That's in Frankfurt, I think, or Hamburg. <laughs> I think it's in Frankfurt. <laughs> I'm not sure. Yeah. Anyway, that was a good one. That's massive. It is a massive, massive conference. Yeah. Yeah, it, it's it's really cool. Yeah. That's another one that you guys should absolutely, absolutely represent. I think they're yourselves. two of the key ones. Yeah, it'll be, it'll be great to go, go to those. I'm looking forward to the opportunity for sure. Yeah, I think after COVID, man, there's going to be a real explosion of of, of travel and social uh, social expression. I, I really think that like when people are done being locked, like when people can socialize, we're about to see like the roaring twenties. You know, what I mean? <laughs> it's going to you know be great. I mean? I mean, yeah, I've got to reschedule my honeymoon. Actually, that, um, I was meant to go to Europe for six weeks. About oh, where'd you get married? A year ago, I got married. Nice, congratulations! Yeah, yeah I spent twenty four hours in Paris afterwards, and then I had to get straight back on a plane and come back to Australia again. So it was a bit of a well, son of a bitch. What I was hoping for. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's yeah. cool. You know what you know what you're gonna do for your honeymoon? Uh well, I've got a baby in the mix now, so I don't know how much that'll complicate it, but. Hopefully, still right. most of the same stuff. Yeah, I'm sure it'll be a good adventure. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Well, listen, man, if you come to the United States, um, if you come to the West Coast, 
just let me know. I'd yeah. love to kick it in person, hang out and like, yeah, just drink a beer and uh, get to get to have some face to face time. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely, man. That'd be great. Cool. Well, right. it's almost been an hour and a half. We should probably wrap. Yeah, true. Probably I've rambled a little bit about things that might be a bit too, I don't know. I don't know. Are you kidding me? No, man. That's what this podcast is all about. We should just ramble. It's about rambling. Awesome. Thanks for having me, man. Yeah, of course, dude. I really appreciate it. And uh, let's just keep in touch. Yeah. I would love to work with you guys on features in some capacity and anything I can do to help. Um, Yeah, I'd be happy to. I'd be happy to. So just let me know. We'll do. Yeah. All right, brother. I will. uh, I'll talk to you soon.